0: What do you know about that, man?
1: (laughs) That was pretty fun. (laughs) If you wasn't at work today, what what would you be doing this Um, time of year? Well,
0: probably I'd be at Cumberland (laughs) if I could, (laughs) or I'd be working on my back room, or like last weekend, I got respooled my lines and went through all my stuff i, I did a little
2: bit of that too mm-hmm. that's something good to kind of promote this time of year yeah. what do you guys say we just go ahead and jump into the podcast and then we do just that all right i'm chase winniger host of the podcast lee mcclellan co-host hope everyone had a wonderful holiday and today's guest is chad miles how you guys doing <laughs> normally chad i have people tell us what their job title is and kind of what they do I we talk about you on the podcast enough where I think people probably already know but for anybody who doesn't you're the host of Kentucky Field TV and you've been doing that for going on about seven years now right yep Start, starting my seventh year that's hard to believe wow, to for me yeah it is crazy. That is nuts. I've been here. I got hired just after Chad did. A couple months after. And when I think about the time, too, it's like I cannot believe it's already been six and a half years. You know, yeah, I can't up believe it's
0: already been uh, twenty two years going on twenty three. would <laughs> <laughs> be twenty three in May. It's
1: wild. Isn't it? <laughs> it? Seems like five. Really, it, it is unbelievable how how time is flying. But you know, think about all the things we've done. Mm. It feels like it's been a, a a solid seven to ten years. We've done a we've traveled the state of kentucky well it's gone by really fast Mm -hmm.
2: it's gone by super fast but like you said you look back and you think about it and i can look at something we were doing in 2016 or 2017 and like wow that really was a long time ago and a lot's happened since then but it has flown by like you know i look at some of our the first elk hunt that i went on was one with you and that was in 2017 and that feels like it it kind of feels like it happened yesterday but at the same time you know, that was five elk hunts ago. Oh, and so, yeah. you know, I can look at all those in between. So we're lucky to be able to get out and do a lot. And that's one of the reasons that I, I told a, I was like, Chad would be perfect for this week's podcast because we got out and did something together recently. And that's, what's coming up on the show this weekend. So yeah. I thought maybe we could talk about that a little bit and then promote other opportunities as well, because there's not anybody I know that's more on top of what you can be doing in the outdoors right now than the person whose job it is to know what, what <laughs> you should be doing in the outdoors right now so you
1: know and there's there's always a ton of opportunities in kentucky that's the great mm-hmm. thing and, uh, and i think back about all of our shoots that we've gone on and all of them are so unique and they're all different times of the year you know it's interesting we've got four videographers here in in the office uh, and we've had a couple others that have moved on to other roles and other positions and a lot of them keep a map mm-hmm. of the state of kentucky yep. and they literally will chase got one right there with all the little dots there on it. Um, They will mark all the counties that we have filmed in. When you start thinking about covering the state of Kentucky in in six or seven years, it's amazing when I walk into all these videographers and look at their maps and how how Mm -hmm. many pins or how many counties have been covered where we have filmed a segment in there. And that's just due to its year-long opportunities. We truly have an opportunity Mm -hmm. to do something in the state of Kentucky, hunting or fishing or outdoor recreation-related every single week of of the year. And you know, it's, it also works out well that we try to highlight the whole state too. Yeah.
2: You know, if we're, we're like, when we're sitting, ar- when we're not sitting around, but when we're game planning trying to figure out, hey, what do we want to do coming up? We'll think about the fact that, you know, we have not done, we've done a rabbit hunt, but we haven't done one out in Eastern Kentucky on the coal mines, yeah. or hey, it'd be great to go, do one down in the uh, Cypress areas down in western Kentucky. So we try to scatter it around and show opportunities and how they look in different parts of the state too. So that helps with that a lot. I just looked at my map when you said that, and I got to thinking I probably need to add a couple of pins to that. It's been a little bit. But mm-hmm. Sangster, who you referenced, he was here for quite a while. He, uh, he only had four counties left. So mm-hmm. out of 120, he'd gotten 116.
0: Wow. That's, that's pretty up, impressive, I'd really. Just talked to him 10 minutes ago.
2: There's one lake that he is dead set. He always wants to go shoot a story at this lake because of the dam of the lake splits two counties that he doesn't have so he can knock out two counties. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, we just go to this lake and we fish the dam wall. I can get both those counties I need. So it's, it's kind of funny how that works out. Mm-hmm. But um, what is coming up on this weekend show is a coyote hunt. Me and Chad actually got out in the woods together. And right now, like if you were going to give me an opportunity, that's probably the one that speaks to me the most is predator hunting just in general. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to talk about that. But there's also a lot of other stuff. And I asked Chad earlier before we started, if you were going to get out and do anything right now, like what would the opportunity be that you just on personal time, have a day to yourself, going to get out and enjoy the outdoors? What would that opportunity be? So I kind of wanted to hit on that too.
0: Um, Dale. Um, Dale and
1: Sorry, Cumberland the, and Dale. So Lee can guess. That, that's you got no, that's one what I'm them. saying for me. Well, <laughs> and you actually asked me the question specifically towards fishing, yeah. what I'd be doing. But, uh, you know, if someone asked me, what would you be doing today if you wasn't working, um, this time of year for me, I'd probably be behind that pack of beagles. Yeah, uh, I'd yeah. probably be behind my two dogs because I started thinking about what, what I do last Saturday, what am I doing this Saturday? Well, I'm going to be running dogs and, and hunting rabbits. Mm-hmm. But A lot of that has to do with water January rabbit is great, January. especially in the
0: snow. Oh, yeah. If you can get the snow, Not that's just the that. funnest time to this rabbit This
2: is the last month, thing. the end yeah. of this month, January 31st in the eastern zone. I just it's looked at my, yeah. my cheat sheet over there, and then February 10th, 10th in, the in the western zone. zone. Yep. And so we're coming up on the last three weeks of rabbit hunting statewide, the yeah. last two weeks here in this zone.
1: So if you want to rabbit hunt, this is, a, this you know, is it's the time to do it, too. And you, you, know, you know somebody that's got a dog? Or if you've got a piece of property, I mean, we, we just did a show this week yeah. that really highlighted um, the fact that you don't have to have 15 dogs in a thousand acres to do a rabbit hunt. Mm-hmm. We like to show the big pack, a mm-hmm. lot of people on a rabbit hunt, big piece of property. We, we showcase that quite a bit because we're very, very cautious of staying on areas we have permission with our dogs. yeah Yeah.
2: that's that's one part of it there's another part too for tv you know we're tying up resources when we go out and we shoot we get a shoot so we the more shooters you have the more likely you are to get rabbits on the ground the more Mm -hmm. likely you are to get a successful shoot right Mm -hmm. that's right that's that's, right
1: that's that's one reason but what you guys did this week this week i thought was great but the truth of the matter is the the vast majority of rabbit hunts that take place here in the state of kentucky are two or three people Mm -hmm. maybe neighbors Mm -hmm. Maybe somebody that, you know, can get About access acres, on maybe. a small yeah. piece of property with a couple dogs. Yeah. They're not necessarily 10 shooters and 15 dog style hunts. So we, that's exactly what we did today. I know a guy who's got some property and I said, Hey, you got any rabbits on there? And he said, uh, yeah, yeah. I've seen rabbits from time to time. And he's like, but I tell you what, the best part of my property is a property that faces my neighbor and he might want a rabbit hunt too. And he's also got some property. And, oh, by the way, it's his cousin that owns the 40 acres next to that. Yeah. So you're putting together two or three or four mm-hmm. small tracts of property. They don't have dogs. Yeah. yeah, I happen to have two dogs. So I said, two dogs is not a whole lot. Plenty to hunt behind. Yeah, mm-hmm. We take two dogs, three hunters out, go across three different farms that we had permission to hunt, all small small farms. Man, we had a great time. <laughs> and uh, Honestly,
2: that was a pretty – I think you guys got eight. Mm -hmm. Which is, I mean, two dogs, three hunters, that's good. I killed a limit and carried an empty gun for two hours. And the thing is, that farm, because I thumbed through the footage, I wasn't on that shoot, but I thumbed through it, and it looked like that was a deer hunting farm to me like Mm -hmm. I saw deer stands I saw rubs I saw scrapes Mm -hmm. in the footage so that wasn't a farm that somebody was managing for rabbit that was like an everyday farm that somebody's concerned about deer hunting and hey there just happened to be rabbits there and there's a stereotype that you shouldn't rabbit hunt your deer properties like people for some reason have a stigma about that but I I feel like we go out and do that with people all the time who, who have rabbit hunted their deer properties and have seen hey this
1: really doesn't affect anything at all you know I mean, here's the thing. My my dogs have, in 99% of most people who have trained rabbit dogs, the yeah. same thing with coon dogs, those dogs don't care a thing about that deer. They don't bark. They don't carry on. They don't even, sm- I mean, they smell them. Yeah. But they I've never seen a dog, my dog, ever bark at a deer. And they might push them, but it's not like deer don't get pushed anyway. But wait a minute. I mean, yeah. We're talking about priests of property that have coyotes that live on. over. I was going to say coyotes. What, three, what, you know. 365 days a year. Those deer, they're so used to predators. Yeah. And being able to avoid those predators, be that predator uh, a dog, a cat, a bobcat, a coyote, or a human. There's mm-hmm. people. You still see the deer come back. The only issue becomes if it's in the middle of a of a gun season, where someone might the neighboring the the neighbor might be up on a piece of property, and you know, hey, that big buck I've been seeing is bedding right here in this thicket. You don't want to push that deer over there and have it, you know, take a chance on it being taken. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Other than that, I I really I'll tell you this: when I hunt uh, public lands, and I used to hunt a lot of public lands almost exclusively, Taylorsville Lake WMA Mm -hmm. and and places on Fort Knox. When I was out there bow hunting and I heard a pack of beagles. Oh, you get pretty excited. Good. Oh, good. I knew I was going to receive some deer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it made the hunting actually better. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, So, yeah, I mean, there is a stigma to it. And I see it if you're worried about pushing a big deer that you're hunting off your property during a time where it gives another. But to think that you're going to push that deer away and it's not yeah. coming back, that just yeah. isn't really That's
2: kind of where I'm at.
1: Like, even if you care about deer hunting and, you know, you're
2: really into that, like I am. Like, for me personally, I love bow hunting. And... I get not running dogs on your property in October, November, right? Mm -hmm. But this time of year is the time to get out and do it because Mm -hmm. it's not going to affect a thing and it's a lot of fun too. And you Mm -hmm. were talking about beagles running deer. Like I think if my dog, who's not even, you know, a hardcore rabbit dog, he he likes to do it. If he's on a track and he's barking and I could wave a T-bone. And, you know, over mm-hmm. there, and he he wouldn't break that track to go get that steak because he's he, they're just so focused in on that track. But right. rabbit hunting is a lot of fun. That's something that you've kind of introduced me to, to be honest with you.
1: Well, and I'll tell you this: our this upcoming week show for us is all about dogs. Dogs. Not this week, but next week. Next man. week's show. That's right. It'll be all about dogs, and uh, it's a am- it's the most amazing thing to me is watching a good working dog, and and understanding how these dogs are bred for one particular. Yep critter for the most part some dogs are are crossbred for more things but a really good coon dog doesn't care a thing about a rabbit doesn't care a thing about a possum it Mm -hmm. doesn't care a thing Mm -hmm. about a deer it it it, it's a raccoon and a raccoon only you know a good squirrel dog is the exact same thing a bird dog you know bird dogs flush rabbits quite often they don't care a thing about them and it's amazing that dogs can be bred to a, a good beagle doesn't care a thing about a bird, doesn't care a thing yeah. about anything except for that <laughs> rabbit. Isn't it is that? cool.
2: Hunting with dogs is just a it's a completely different thing that if people haven't experienced it they should because there's something about like the teamwork, mm-hmm. like working with a dog. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know what it's hard to explain, but it's different than just going out and going hunting by yourself or going with your buddies because something about how the dogs work and you're working in tandem without really being able to communicate, mm-hmm. just kind of feeding off each other and knowing what each other wants. And it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. And I would, I would highly suggest it for sure.
1: And I'll tell you what, the energy level, you can have a dog. And I, I, run, I run Garmin GPS collars on my dogs, and it tells me exactly how many miles they've traveled. And you start looking at there and you're seeing 16, 17, 18 miles, and you see how thick how hard they're pushing through. You go, mm-hmm. man, that'd be like a 50-mile or a 100-mile mm-hmm. for a human. Yeah. Shorter little legs pushing through briars. And, and you look at them, and you can tell they're starting to get tired. You're like, all right, let's start making our way to the truck. And I keep plenty of water, and mm-hmm. I keep my dogs, mm-hmm. keep them in good health. And then you're going back to the truck, and you accidentally bump up a rabbit. Oh, that's always a truck, bunny. And the dogs are gone. Yeah. They're like, you think that they're just about to pass out, and they're about ready to be dead, but they, they're, mm-hmm. it's so instinctual for yeah. them. That's what they're bred to do, and that's that's all they want to do. They they'll, I, I truly do think, and this is kind of a weird thing to say, but I do believe that if if I didn't take a uh, collar out there, a leash, uh, a leash, not a collar, and and was ready to hook my dogs up and walk them back to the truck,
2: like they wouldn't quit.
1: They could potentially run themselves to death. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they just go go go. That is all they want to do. Yep. that's all they want to do. People's like, oh, I can't believe you make your dogs do that, and I'm like, make them. Yeah, <laughs> I mean. <laughs> I think they would run themselves to death yeah. to do it. That's mm-hmm. what their drive, mm-hmm. their passion yeah. for hunting is. It's, I, maybe that's why it's enjoyable. Is because uh,
2: you can tell that they enjoy it. You know, oh I mean? yeah, like the dogs want to do it so much that it really makes it
0: enjoyable. I've so, taken many a rabbit with no dog. Yeah, you know, back in the day.
1: Yeah, know. And, you know, and you know, getting out is always fun, but the the, the the it just adds so much more when you got a dog and and you're watching your dog and you and you're watching your dog interact with other dogs and and, and, and once you know your dog. You can be sitting there watching, it and you're like, "Man, it may hadn't barked, it hadn't done nothing." You're watching it, and you're like, "Get, get ready, because that that dog, it's, the way its tail starts work, working, the way it starts moving, its nose faster and faster, mm-hmm. and it's kind of bouncing. Like it smells something. Get ready, and man, once you learn to work with your dog, it's amazing how you know exactly right when they're getting ready to jump a rabbit. And my dogs are now they're they're reaching four. Mm-hmm. I've seen people that can take their dog right up to a thicket. And kind of point to point to the thicket, here, 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 and get their dogs hunting, yep. and they'll they will follow right where they're pointing them, kind of like a lab does when you're mm-hmm. trying to get it to retrieve a bird. You're mm-hmm. telling it to go left or right or back. It's amazing that they've learned to work with you, and uh, that's the really cool thing. And yep. I tell you what, if you ever heard me out on a rabbit hunt, here, oh yeah, it's, just it's non-stop. It's it's yes. it's motivation. It's more of a coaching. Mm-hmm. It's nonstop. I feel bad for you camera guys that are sitting there with ear mics on because I am screaming and I'm yelling at the dogs and I'm trying to keep their excitement level up. When we've gone 10 minutes we haven't jumped a rabbit and they're working their butts off, I'm encouraging them, uh, trying to tell them, you know, good girl, good girl, good girl, Mm -hmm. nonstop. It is nonstop talk.
2: (laughs) I'll tell you what, going rabbit hunting with, or not just rabbit, squirrel, everything, it kind of makes me feel bad for the dogs that, you know, like you think are the best have the best lifestyle like the dogs that are always inside and the dogs that have the (laughs) cushiest lifestyle it kind of makes me feel bad for them because those dogs (laughs) aren't aren't getting to do what they want to do you know know. like if 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 somebody had a pet dog and you can tell that man that dog really wants to go chase that squirrel maybe someday just take them out and let them chase a
1: squirrel Mm -hmm. because they're going to enjoy that you know what i mean it's so crazy because there's some people that uh you know i'm a different type of dog owner i love my dogs as much as anybody but i My wife don't put my dogs in their purse, and they don't wear a sweater. (laughs) And uh, when I see people out like that, I I go, you know what? Good for that dog or whatever. But the fact is I'm looking at that dog, and I'm like, man, if that dog, if it's a chihuahua and it was out doing what chihuahuas do, chasing snakes or doing whatever they do, I don't know. What do chihuahuas do? They have a certain thing they hunt, too. But every dog's kind of, a lot of dogs, (laughs) they've got certain things that they hunt and are bred for. And you see this dog, and you're like, man, I you know. Good for you. You're treating that dog great. But man, that dog doesn't know what it's missing. Mm-hmm. You probably look at my dog and go, oh man, that, that poor dog. dog. Yeah. Look oh, at man. that. And
0: it's wagging its tail and can't wait to go.
1: It's excited as it can possibly be, just, want, what, just wants to do what it's bred for.
0: What were chihuahuas bred for?
1: Okay, well, that's, that's, not
0: not that's not good at all. Yeah, that's
1: <laughs> not good at all. I don't like the answer. Don't, don't, I don't, go- like answer don't at all. Google what are chihuahuas. <laughs> <were for>. <laughs> <laughs> right there, I don't like.
0: Oh, delete back, 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 back. <laughs> yeah. Well, <it> turns out <laughs>
2: chihuahuas yeah. were not uh, bred to be hunting dogs. I'm,
1: I'm sure that they were bred for something. They were bred for something, but maybe not hunting. at <laughs> Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> i read the first went, Oh, <laughs>
1: that is uh, that's sad retreat
2: i guess we got to tell people what it says um they were, yeah. so the first answer when you google what are where chihuahuas bred for it says um uh, this is from the smart com. chihuahuas were bred to be sacrifice dogs as descendants of um a certain yeah. breed of dogs chihuahuas were popular among religious ceremonies and rites so mm. <laughs> that is unfortunate yeah. so yes but uh Anyway, maybe
1: that, you can keep that sweater and keep that thing. <laughs> yeah, purse. Get, that's, get, that's, that's yeah. much better.
0: But <laughs> you know
2: what? Yeah, the, those dogs can be used for that. that. That was a strange turn. I didn't expect. Yeah,
0: that. me too. I was like, whoa. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, that's oh, not where right. I expected no. that to go. But anyway, rabbit hunt's a great opportunity right now, Chad. If you had, let's let's go with other opportunities.
1: What else would you be doing? Say it just wasn't the day for rabbit hunt. Um. You know, this is the type. Of, this is the time of year for me that uh, I know I'm a little bit odd. That's my favorite time of year to fish too. Oh, I was yeah. gonna say, I I Dale, still, I've been. I spend more time smallmouth fishing the big reservoirs, and when the water right now is a great time to start catching those crappie. Uh, it's a it's a, a day great day like time. today. I think you
0: catch them, don't you? Oh
1: yeah, you catch them when it's you got overcast.
0: Overcast, and, spitting snow.
1: It's those days that, uh, and for me, the days are short. You got these gloomy days. I don't like to be stuck in the house. These are the days to me that are almost Mm -hmm. depressing. I find a way, a reason to get outside and do something. It's either working dogs or, or, or going and finding a stream. It's a great time. If you're a summertime fisherman and you go, man, I just don't like this this time of year. You put your boat on the water. You don't, you don't have to have a good sonar. You can literally see most of our lakes are drawn down 25, 30 feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go look and mark structure that you plan on I fishing know. when the water yeah. comes up. It's, a great, it's a great opportunity to, to get out, outside and do something. We were down on
2: Barron a week ago, and the structure is all visible. New structure that's been put I out. Think I think mean,
0: like you
1: 27 feet. You me. can yeah, see. You could plan a,
2: a year's worth of summer fishing right now on Barron if you just went out there and looked at the bank.
1: And Barron, Nolan, Ruff, Green River, those are all like that right yeah. now. They're mm-hmm. all drawn down twenty. 25. 25 feet, you can go out there and you can see uh, every rock, everything that you're going to fish when the water comes back up at summertime. You can physically see it. You don't, you don't need to use your electronics. You can see it Mm -hmm. and mark it. Mark it on your map. And a lot of times you can get, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting because what I've noticed when the lakes are down about 25 feet, if you're like me in the summertime in those lakes with thermocline, you're usually not fishing deeper than about 20 feet. You can pull the boat up, and what you'll realize is right next to a piece of structure that's 15 feet deep, where you've got the boat as close as you can get with the trolling motor and you mark it, you're not marking the structure. You're marking where you want to park the boat to fish the structure. And mm-hmm. that's the way I like to mark it anyway. Mm-hmm. On my GPS, I don't want to mark the exact structure. Yeah, you want I to mark casting distance off. That way when you pull up to it at night, time fishing or whatever, you're literally putting yourself not on the spot, on the spot you want the boat to be casting that spot yeah. and then you use your side imaging or whatever you use just or just general knowledge of knowing if i'm i'm one cast away from the structure and i'm casting toward the bank and that's the way i like to do it this is the best time of year to do and, that and
0: snow is a great time to fish i love snowy days for smallmouth
1: smallmouth chad uh, and i went remember that time we sawger fishing was, can the be high i was 28
0: great. when we went with the, the guy from the herald leader remember <laughs>
1: What was uh, this? Tell uh, me the story. Uh, we,
0: we, were, we went and got a float and fly piece. This had to be years uh, ago, right? Yeah, this was quite a few years ago. And yeah. uh, Chris Bohr, who was the outdoor writer at the time, now he's uh, for the Herald-Leader for a while, and uh, we took him out, and we all caught fish. But poor Chris, it was brutal that day. Twenty eight, yeah, it was twenty eight. Uh, well, and it, it spit it, snow on it us. But we caught to, fish.
1: It got up to twenty eight. We <laughs> launched, sliding down the boat ramp at Wolf Wolf <laughs> Wolf Creek Dam. Literally sliding <laughs> Just down. I hope the buoyancy of the boat stops the truck. Well, the steam coming off the water, which was in the forties <laughs> oh, and fifties, actually kept it thawed. And mm-hmm. we slid down the ramp, and we we got in. It was my personal boat. I'm, I remember launching the boat. We were bundling up. I mean, I wear a snowmobile mm-hmm. suit yeah. when I drive the lakes in really cold conditions. Yeah. And Chris was out there writing about uh, Chris. Poor was the writer, and mm-hmm. uh, Lee was with me, and Chris was supposed to be writing about the weather, or not the weather, but about fly fishing. And we get in there, and I see what he's wearing. <laughs> it's literally a pair of jeans and a Carhartt. Yeah. And I, I sw- and and sweatshirt and waffle the old waffle weave. Uh, yeah, that old Long 50, forty miles an hour across the
2: lake
0: and twenty degrees. That's negative. It was it was sixteen degrees when we launched, so negative twenty five. Yeah, the chill. The bunks they froze, didn't they? The carpet on the boats the carpet
1: on, on the boats froze. I couldn't get couldn't get them lifted up to uh, to literally get rod reels out. So he first. was he was miserable. Mm. He was probably not real happy. Yeah. <laughs> his lips were blue by around two o'clock. I was like, hey, you, you, I, I got a rain jacket. You want to put a rain jacket on? You want anything to block the wind? Yeah. And I think he was too cold to stand up to, to put the jacket on. And I was like, you were ready to go back? And he said, no, I'm out here to get the story. So, hey, go. more he, power to him. He He's, toughed it out, he man. And he it caught out. fish. Yeah, he caught some fish. And so it was, it, was a, it was a good time. Floating fly is a
2: technique that would probably, well, it's been warm here lately.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's, it's been, quite cold enough yet. I was the, down there last Saturday on Cumberland. It was in the main lake or uh, up in Beaver. It was 51 degrees still. Really? On Main Lake, it was 49 and change.
2: So, yeah, I was sitting here thinking about time of year. This is kind of the time of year you'd think about using a technique like that, but the water temperature probably isn't. I know they've been catching them bit.
1: on the float and fly, and I'll tell you the weirdest thing is is that when the temperature of the water drops, like we had that massive cold spell a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. I think it's more about... More about the change in the water temperature rel- relatively quickly mm. than the actual water temperature. Because yeah, I'll tell you, stress the fish. Right? It stresses the fish, and when you start getting those little fish that don't have big body mass, mm-hmm. a couple degree change in temperature can stress that fish. And next thing you know, you got those shad that are just kind of swimming around, mm-hmm. kind of aimlessly, death, yeah, eight, and ten feet off, yeah. deep, near dead. Well, that's a, that's like going to a buffet for uh, for Small, a predator fish. Yeah. Smallmouth in there near does it. Like and popcorn. that's that's when you hit them. So when you catch that major, major temperature change, that's anytime right after that. That's always a good time to go.
2: You know, you can place, s- place stuff like that. Like you talk about a major temperature change. Good time to go fish, float and fly, right? I'll look for those weird weather conditions or anything that's just different. Because like when you go fishing, you're looking for something that's unique, right? Mm-hmm. Like usually mm-hmm. you're looking for rock structure or some curvature on the bottom or something that's just different about the spot that's going to make it better, right? Mm-hmm. And I do the same thing when I go hunting. I think about what's this weather going to do? What's this strange wind going to do for where the deer are going to be? Or what's this extreme cold going to do for where the deer are going to be? And that's kind of what we used to set up our coyote hunt, too. Yeah. Because it was that same cold snap you were talking about where it was zero degrees, five degrees, you know, seven mm-hmm. degrees for three days. With a, with a three- or four-inch blanket of snow that came on day one and, of cold mm-hmm. weather. And mm-hmm. wind was howling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So on the fourth.
0: We nearly 4
2: yeah. on the fourth day of that it was 28 degrees right with no wind mm-hmm. so not only is it a good day for us to get out and go coyote hunting just personally for our own comfort level but that's probably the day that those coyotes are going to be out looking for a meal too right
1: they spent a couple of days in the den mm-hmm. yeah. curled up with one another trying to keep some body heat now yeah. hey when your temperature goes down yep. these are these are warm-blooded animals mm-hmm. when the temperature falls they burn more calories to keep yeah, their body, and so they need more food. So when you get a day like you're talking here, yeah. 28 degrees, and uh, all of a sudden, hey, it's been super cold. Yeah. They've been bundled up in that den. It's time to get up. They got it. They got to eat.
2: And that's exactly what we were thinking when we went and did that coyote hunt. Was taking advantage of that brutal cold. The the day that followed it, that was actually a little bit comfortable. That's the day we wanted a coyote hunt. Not just for us, but because that's the day those coyotes would be out one hunt as well. Mm-hmm. So that's we kind of took advantage of that to get the segment that's airing on this week's show, which is, you know, is that coyote hunt and the soft snow, and we kind of talked about that. The only reason we got a coyote that day was because of the snow. Yeah. We might have been able to get one without it because we saw four coyotes yeah. on that hunt.
1: And we could have taken a really long shot, 300-plus yard it was shot probably, That's probably closer.
2: I said 300. You said 400. In yeah. reality, that was probably 475. Yeah. So which, that's a little
1: far. Yeah. The, both rifles were shooting. It's a possible shot. Uh, we could have made it probably would have taken it if we didn't think we had any other chances i don't
0: think a crossbow would have gotten there
1: no i don't think it would have been a crossbow <laughs> shot you can make a bolt go that far <laughs> just but as it turns out uh mm-hmm. right as we're about around i do to give too much away but yeah. right as we kind of end our set we actually saw a coyote we didn't talk about on camera that day as yeah, well yeah. and we thought there's a chance it may be working toward us we sat there for a long time we stand up and because of the snow we were able to see that thing in the woods a pretty long way away yeah it was able to uh get a shot at it it worked
2: out well you just never know how things are going to go when you're coyote hunting how it's going to unfold you know not every not everything goes the exact same way every time so we got lucky that time that we had enough to keep us interested to keep us sticking around long enough to get the coyote to slipped through at the 40 minute mark or whatever it was but um You know, we were switching up our calls and what actually brought the coyote in we got was coyote vocals, Mm -hmm. you know, and you had been on a coyote hunt with a a buddy of mine, Brandon, and he had been telling you that, hey, these coyote vocals and fighting sounds are what's really working for me right now. And, you know, we were out there kind of thinking this is going to be a good day for coyotes to be hunting because of the weather. They're going to be looking for food. But at the same time, we're rolling into breeding season Mm -hmm. right now. You know, it's late January, early February is when coyotes are breeding. So just like the deer do when they breed, you know, they start getting territorial, start Mm -hmm. wanting to mark their territory, start Mm -hmm. wanting to guard their territory. And that's kind of what you play into with those fighting sounds and vocals. Mm -hmm. And so that's what actually ended up working for us. Most people who are thinking about going out and going coyote hunting for the first time, are thinking rabbit distress, right? Because that's just kind of what you see, and mm-hmm. it's in front of mind, and it makes sense. Mm-hmm. But I would encourage anybody who's thinking about going out right now to run vocals, mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter if they're male vocals or female vocals, or you know, just curious howls, or if they're like aggressive howls and barks. Like, no matter what you do vocal wise, you're probably going to be as likely or more likely to pique the interest of a coyote than you would be with a rabbit, because mm-hmm. you know, like deer pre rut or during the rut, those bucks aren't eating. Mm-hmm. You know they got one thing on their mind, mm-hmm. and that's what they're focused on. It's the same thing with coyotes and other animals. So I would I would say it's a great time of year to coyote hunt. and If you want to get out there and do it, don't be afraid to try vocals or something a little bit different.
1: You know, coyote hunting is something that is it, all predator hunting from, yep. is really gaining in popularity. Now we have a nighttime season here in the state of Kentucky. You can pop on the TV and see coyote hunts that are taking place all across the all across the United States. There's still um, for landowners, I think it is easier to get on a piece of property to coyote hunt than it is for deer and turkey because not, not as many people are coming and asking them for it. And they also hear the, hear the predators. They may have livestock that may have mm-hmm. pets. Yeah. They may have whatever. They may have- and they're like, man, mm-hmm. I want to keep these under control for some people. They still look at it as well. Wait a minute, are you going to eat that coyote? You don't don't harvest anything you don't eat. Mm-hmm. And the simple fact is, is that any predators that we would have had on the landscape here in Kentucky in in decent numbers that would have helped control that that coyote population, don't exist anymore. Don't exist. Uh, do, I doubt these landowners want wolves or cougars. They re- probably <laughs> don't want yes, no wolves and cougars, which once 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 we're here in the state of Kentucky, so. You know, uh, is, or do you feel like well, you're harvesting something that you're not you're not consuming? Sometimes there has to be some level of control, predator control, yeah. and we don't. You know, it's just like we don't have buffalo here still in the state of <laughs> Kentucky. I don't think people want to see buffalo driving down I seventy-five. <laughs> they <laughs> yeah.
2: might want to see them not <laughs> yeah. from a
1: distance, not up close, not
2: free
0: ranging, because yeah. one getting a deer at seventy-five is rough. You got buffalo i mean there's, there's you know, it's, it's,
1: it's just we're living in a different time now there were yeah. the frontier days where you only harvested what you could eat at this point in time humans have to be able to also help control the landscape a little bit if you didn't you would see very 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 few turkeys you'd mm-hmm. see very few rabbits not only because of coyotes Raccoons are some yeah. of the absolute worst on nest raiders. Most for of t- it days.
2: is people's fault, though. Like right now, the management, we're talking about taking coyotes and we're talking about raccoons. Most of it <clears throat> stems from it being our fault mm-hmm. because things had a natural way of working mm-hmm. and w- without people here, right? Mm-hmm. Like things yeah. worked on their own. Yeah. But we got rid of wolves and mountain lions and made room for the coyotes to come here. So the coyotes being here is our fault. You know, and we should help manage that species population for the other species populations. And with raccoons and nest raters, well, it's because we've destroyed the habitats because we've mowed out so much that turkey poults and rabbits don't have good nesting sites now. So we need to try to help manage their numbers by keeping the predators in check. That's what a lot of the predator hunting and, you know, a lot of that plays into. All right. We have. kind of screwed this whole situation up here as people have now let's manage it Mm -hmm. for the best you know well
1: and it's exactly why we're having some issues you know I'm not a biologist um, uh, Mm -hmm. but I do know that uh, you hear biologists talk about um, quail and grouse habitat Mm -hmm. and quail and grouse habitat in eastern Kentucky in the Daniel Boone there used to be a lot more fire being used to manage Mm -hmm. that and that tended to be what helped the population there uh, thrive well. They need open ground. There's so much adversity to people not wanting national forest lands burned. Yeah. Well, years ago, they before evolved. we was inhabited, before we had fire breaks, and and there's large, large, large sections of the Midwest would catch on fire during a thunderstorm and burn uncontrolled. Mm-hmm. The rain came. Th- yeah, till the rain came. <laughs> ga- that was kind of part of the management plan. Well. We're not real comfortable with that now no. as you build a house. Well, some you, of them
0: do it, but it's
1: <laughs> not
0: under our hospices. Yeah. They,
2: that's they how, just start fires. That's how Cody Roden explained it, you know, uh, to us before. And Cody's a small game biologist. Basically, that mm. the, everything we have here in Kentucky evolved on a fire landscape. You know, like our, our forest systems and everything evolved with fire. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now we need to keep, to keep it healthy we need to keep introducing that fire
1: that's what blows me away when you start thinking about some of the um the environmentalists that want to talk about oh well for the love of god you can't take a chainsaw in there and cut that tree down you know the tree's dead it's an ash it's mm-hmm. it's dead and you can't you can't go in there because using a chainsaw that's gas powered oh that you know that's awful well before man was here, that entire forest would have caught on fire about every fifteen years and burned. You want to talk about carbon? <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. That forest burning, burning everything there and leaving what uh, what you know the big mature trees are left there, and then brand new growth of all natives comes back. It's a beautiful way to manage, but man, the chainsaw is a, it's a god awful thing. Don't you know nobody wants to see you use a chainsaw, but yet we were fine with the forest naturally burning. And, and I wrote that a, was you know, go
0: uh, ahead. I wrote a story about forest health Mm -hmm. a while back and um one of the things is is you know we leave so many undesirable trees now Mm -hmm. you know we don't and there there was an initiative for one of the governmental agencies and that got some pretty bad uh, blowback but that's what they were trying to do is Mm -hmm. eliminate some of that uh, Mm mid-story stuff that, that that doesn't really do anything for wildlife that if we had not harvested all the white oak and harvested all the good cherry and all mm-hmm. that they wouldn't even be there mm-hmm. so they're just trying to make it where there's beneficial species that are going to prosper and get rid of this midland what they call you know kind of like forest
1: junk you know i mean there's a that's bush like, honeysuckle you know. is a great example no, you, know. you take bush honeysuckle that's not native to kentucky it's over here
0: at the game farm
1: it's everywhere and you take that and you go walk underneath a bush honeysuckle, and look what the ground looks like. Mm-hmm. There's yep. nothing there to eat. It's it's just, there's nothing. Yep. So a lot of times, you know, humans helping manage and get getting rid of the undesirables, be it plant species, predators, predators whatever, that's kind of part of the management plans.
2: That's, that's really what it is. It's literally like managing right now in the best way possible to, to kind of make up for, fix, things that have happened in the past, mm-hmm. you know, because we didn't always do a great job. Yeah. Like we, we have actually, mm-hmm. over history, screwed up a lot, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. so mm-hmm. right now, all of these different hunting and the wildlife management practices is kind of aimed at correcting or managing the situation we have based on what's happened in the past and trying to make it the best what? possible. Like everything, what Chad pointed out with the chainsaw, I mean, people look at that and they might complain about it, but at the same time, they just need to realize this is what needs to be done for the best best result for wildlife, you know?
0: You know, Chad and I are from, you know, Bulletin and Nelson counties, from Bardstown to Mount Washington, and I know you know there's a lot of rolling cedar mm-hmm. hills, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and that's, again, everybody's like uh oh, don't give it those cedars will not be there have we not cleared that forest for mm-hmm. pasturage you mm-hmm. know 150 mm-hmm. years ago or for you know they they would try to plow stuff <laughs> it was like 45 degree and they try to grow corn on it. people were starving you know and so mm-hmm. we, we did a lot of you know and and i know that we had some issues with One of our properties here, kind of close to Frankfurt, where we were removing some old cedar trees to promote the growth of oak and hickory and things that are beneficial. And we got some blowback for that, but the cedar tree wouldn't be there had we not cleared it for pasturage 125 Mm -hmm. years ago to begin with. So, you know, that that, that pristine virgin forest thing, that's, you know, in very, very few tracks in Kentucky, that's still true. But by far, it's been logged. Some Mm -hmm. of it's been logged twice. A lot of it's been logged three times. So... Mm You know, that that's what we're dealing with. So we need to to manage that to for the best because it's it's that that whole, you know, pine the sky stuff's gone. It's well, been and, hammered. And the you problem
1: know? is is that some commercial um uh, harvesting practices, be it coal mines, be it timber companies, um in the in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s has been really, really bad. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure in some cases you can find some bad practices today, and those need to be avoided. But the fact is, is that responsible companies that plan on being in business—they want their business to sustain as well. Yeah. So they, they, their, their, their management practices are definitely getting better, and they're getting better. Due to some of the pressures that are put on society by Mm -hmm. society, and Mm -hmm. so that's a good thing. But like everything, there's ebb and flows, and sometimes you can go too far. Mm -hmm. And at some point in time, that seems to be what's going on.
0: And then you know, the bourbon boom, too. You know, what do deer like more than anything? What's their number one acorns? White white oak acorns. What do you make bourbon barrels from? White oak. Yeah, so there's a lot of pressure on mature white oak right now because of the bourbon boom. Mm -hmm. So Mm Um, you know, that, that that's, there's going to be the pressures mm-hmm. from that. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, you, you've got to manage that smartly. But peop, just sometimes I think people are a little pie in the sky about, you know, that, 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 that these forests have been manipulated. And Native Americans did burns. They manipulated things mm-hmm. for their own. You know, the mm-hmm. barons, a lot of that was burned you know, as mm-hmm. a game, you know.
2: I kind of think it sucks or it's unfortunate, but people look for something to be upset about now. Yeah, you know, without agree. trying to look for understanding for why. Um, <laughs> we we started this conversation talking about predators and mm-hmm. uh, if you're not going to eat it. Yeah. I, I have eaten Coyote now. One time, don't <laughs> know if I plan on doing it again. It was I've at, eaten raccoon several times. I my, would eat raccoon now.
0: My granddad used to take me to a coon supper out of this country church every year. That was uh, his
2: favorite thing. What's the wildest thing you've eaten, Chad? Like uh. the one that, not wildest, but like most non-typical, something that... People probably. Um, had you day.
1: know, a lot of them are things that I have. Um, I have maybe didn't prepare myself, but I, I'm a pretty adventurous eater. To be totally honest yeah, with yeah. you, if I see something that it's I'm like, I have hey, never anything tried anything it. Either, right? yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'm not going to say it's disgusting. Have you had rattlesnake? I have had rattlesnake. I've had rattlesnake before. That uh, you know, I, I absolutely love. Frog legs. There's nothing we adventurous, yeah, adventurous yeah, about loads that. I think I love they loads of Kroger. Though. Some people will tell you that's adventurous, but I, I mean rattlesnake. I was going to say maybe one of the more adventurous things. I've had rattlesnake, alligator though. tail. That you know some of that type stuff. I really good. Had. Probably possum and
2: raccoon for me. I never. I haven't really. Raccoon's
0: it, a little stringy, crow. but it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't overly gamey. It's just kind of tough and stringy. You
2: throw anything in the slow cooker for Yeah, members. and I mean, yeah, so it it put okay. gravy on it, you
0: know, and a lot yeah. of pepper. You know,
2: that's how I had the the groundhog and the raccoon and the possum mm-hmm. and stuff like that. It's a wild game dinners, but that's what was curious because i didn't know what r- rattlesnake is kind of wild i never have had that i think that'd be kind of interesting
1: yeah and it's it's actually pretty good yeah, um, probably it looks like a white meat bro it is white meat and uh it, it's pretty good you got to work you know you got you got the ribs you got to work it off the bones a lot it's of it's like things, a fishy you're kind of putting it in like and pulling it off like a toothpick it, um
2: because it's a reptile so it'd be kind of like a you know because you think about the scales and kind of flaky yeah white meat? it's
1: not really it's not really fishy it's more f- frog leggy it's kind of like that's okay. oh, no, good yeah yeah, but it tastes different than that um you know but you're battering it and you're cutting it into chunks and putting it in a deep fryer yeah um so you're getting a lot of batter in you know in the in the taste profile as well but yeah it's it's kind of a white not like turtle it's just kind of hard to describe it's uh but it's 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 pretty mild one but. of my favorite
2: wild game you know just meals would be uh Something that you guys went and fish for recently, and something that's really like coming up right now, time to fish for, mm-hmm. and that would be the perch species, walleye, sauger, mm-hmm. sauger. Mm-hmm. They all taste that, great. That's something we and need to get. Perch,
0: out. white yellow perch are fabulous.
2: Yeah, I can't find those as easily as I can. Well, what do you
0: know? I know it's. And I, I, wanted to. Ryan Oster used to work with us. I said, "Man, let's go do a, a yellow perch piece on Kentucky Lake because we, you catch them crappie fishing." But, yeah. you know, he's like, Lee, I've tried to target those things, and I've tried, and I've tried. It's just you run across them, and then you don't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But when we would have a plate of fried crappie, and you'd have some fried yellow perch, yellow perch went first every time. I mean, mm-hmm. by a factor of two to one. I've always heard they're good. But oh, they're it,
2: delicious. If you were going to get out and go fishing for one of those three that is pretty realistic, saugah, sauger, walleye wh- I, would, I would probably head down to downtown Frankfurt Lock 4 right now mm-hmm. if the water's right. What would you guys do?
0: Well, uh what's the Ohio looking like?
2: Well, I would have to look it up. Let's just say it's at a normal pool. It's probably not because of all that rain we got yesterday and all the rain we got a week ago. But mm-hmm. let's just say here in a week from now, it's at a normal pool for this time of year. I mean, is that where you'd want to go? You'd go to Markland or?
0: Yeah, well, I, I would. If I was bank fishing, we did the melt all piece. Hope we can go. You know, we, we caught some at the very end. You know, that's mm-hmm. the thing about sauger. It'll be dead, and then you'll have an hour and a half or two hours of bites, and then
1: it's dead. They come in waves, you know. That- they move a lot. I mean, that's the reason you fish the dams, right? Because mm-hmm. those fish move from a long area, and they run upstream. Well, they also move when they get to the dam. They'll they'll go down and sit there for a while, and they move up, and they feed. Mm-hmm. You may have nothing, nothing, nothing. The fish move up to feed, and then bam, 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 bam. all of a sudden you're catching fish. I mean, it's a fish that moves quite a bit. It's amazing. Some of our biologists say the sauger is uh, one of the— the most interesting fish to mm-hmm. them because they can find them in such huge numbers certain times of the year and then they go through the summer. You he can't still see them anywhere. They can't, they could do all their shocking, they do all their, their surveys, their surveys. I one Elkhorn. They, they can't find time. them. They're like, where, where do they go? Yeah. It's a really interesting, it's a very, very interesting fish. I do fish. kind of think they might disperse up into the creeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I've like caught them Lisa, in Elkhorn
0: in, in summer. You've
2: mm-hmm. caught them in summer. I've seen Jameson catch them and we used to go just absolutely tear them up in a trip to the uh, Kentucky River in Henry County.
1: We tear them up in the summer, Sorry. I will tell you hmm. too. Um, re- this week we were out doing a sturgeon sampling, and uh, oh yeah, we uh, we're not sure. We actually took a scale for DNA sampling. We think we caught a native. Oh, Rockcastle. Uh, uh, well, in the rock castle hooks into um, yeah, the, the upper Cumberland. The yeah. upper Cumberland. We were we were at the Cumberland. Hell, we were twenty miles north of Burnside. Mm-hmm. Oh and, wow. Uh, or not north. I guess it would be upstream. I guess upstream. Yeah. So we were we were way up there and uh, ended up on a on a trot line trying to catch sturgeon. Ended up with about a five pound fish that looked different. It wasn't marked exactly like the normal Erie strain. For a lot of people who don't know, if you go to a lake here in the state of Kentucky, I don't care which lake it is, if it's a lake that uh, has stocking of of, of walleye mm-hmm. those are lake erie strain yeah. walleye yeah, so from the
0: rivers we're putting some of the natives the back
1: rivers have it. a uh kentucky naturally has a walleye species that is a more of a river style fish interestingly enough the river style of si- uh, uh, si- type fish actually get much bigger which is a rock, little their eggs are bigger strand. too the yeah. rock castle strain or the native strand mm-hmm. and uh and those fish are now being reproduced and put back into those those streams. Mm-hmm. So where would I go? I don't know. Something about now that they've been in there for, we've been restocking them now for mm-hmm. what? Oh. Six or seven, eight no, years? 10. Probably ten, years, 10, yeah. There's a good chance to potentially Maybe catch Maybe more. It. I mean, you may be talking about nine and 10-pound fish now. Yeah, I saw These a
2: 10-pounder f- get caught recently. Yeah, so that I would be. I don't know if I can give the guy spots away now. <laughs> oh, no, no, that's fine. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you, did you catch it? No. Oh. There's a guy named Mike Harden.
0: Oh. <laughs> oh, I know
1: where he caught it. Yeah. <laughs> we talked about that the other day. So, that, that that's to me, that's really interesting. If I'm going to give it up, Mike. <laughs> if you want to target yeah. so a they, walleye species. They
0: think they caught a native?
1: They think, and it was a bio. I was out there with two biologists. They said, hey, this looks like it might be a native. And we, we took some data off of it Good. and put it back in and turned it loose. And, and man, that. that they take be pictures of it? I think they did take pictures. Uh, we got, I, on we video. got video. We, we were out we How
2: did that segment go uh, from your point of view? Because I've Is talked to. A big sturgeon? I've talked to Jameson who filmed that segment, but I hadn't really got your take on it. How was sampling for the sturgeon? It was. It was interesting. What was, it was the process like? Kind of describe it to me.
1: So this will be airing on Kentucky Field here in a few weeks as well. But we so we went out with a couple of biologists and they had put out some trot lines with fifty hooks each on it, baited up with pieces of nightcrawler. So they're right?
2: following the laws too. Fifty hooks. That's a
1: legal. Fifty lineage, hooks, so. and we put them out. All the I think they had eight lines or something like that. So we put those out and then the the, the process is, is that you run them and you you mark down everything that's caught mm-hmm. that's one of the things that's very interesting about going out and working with a biologist is that someone is calling out and Mm -hmm. you have a person that's dedicated with a clipboard and they're literally writing down everything they see and they record all that. And they've been doing it for years. So let's say you go out there and you catch a native strain walleye. Maybe they figure out that's what that was. Mm -hmm. There will be records of that when when biologists are running lines. They mark the date, the conditions. Mm -hmm. When biologists are running lines 30 years from now, they'll look back at that. They'll be able to go back in their computer and say, when has this ever happened? And they'll be able to see that. How many, what What? Uh, what was the bycatch? All right, was it crappie? Where, mm-hmm. How many crappie did they catch? Uh, mm-hmm. What were the bycatch? What bait were they using? So it's really interesting to see how they manage that data over mm-hmm. a long period of time. But we caught, uh, I can't remember how many sturgeon we ended up catching, but it wasn't a large number. Um, they said they normally do more per line. Mm-hmm. But what we caught, we were able to radio, Mm-hmm. a pin mm. tag with a little, in, you know, it's like a cool. s- hypodermic hypodermic needle that they put in a certain spot on the fish. They were able to look at the fish and see how old the fish was based on Scare. markings that were given mm-hmm. to that fish in the fish hatchery mm-hmm. as a as a very young
2: uh, offspring. Yeah, they mark them when they're like what six to eight inches long. Probably they mm-hmm. usually remove a scale. On it. it's they re- like, they they're
1: called scoots on yeah. on these fish mm-hmm. or down, along the side, and they'll go okay, And you. they'll go either five or six or six or seven, and they'll remove one of those. So that when you take the fish and you're looking at it, but the thing is is as as these fish get older, those become less defined. Okay. so when you start getting up in the forty and fifty pound fish for this is for lake sturgeon, they become very they become harder to tell or is that number five or is that number six or wait a minute, is this the one that's been removed mm-hmm. because they get to wear and tear? interesting thing is on those sturgeon is that those scoots are very sharp when they're small, mm-hmm. oh yeah. I mean, and they're sharp up until they're a couple years old, but as that fish starts getting in that 30 and 40 and 50 inch range, they become very, uh, almost smooth, almost non-existent. Mm. Well, mother nature is a beautiful thing. When you're a small little fish and you need to have something sharp and spiny on you to protect yourself, you got it. Mm -hmm. But when you become 40 and 50 inches (laughs) long... You don't need that anymore. Who's going to eat you? I don't think you need protection Mm -hmm. on you. So... And it just disappears. Yeah. Well, it makes it harder to tell how old they are as well. But So we learned a few things about sturgeon. It's not a fish mm-hmm. that you get to see a whole lot here yeah. in Kentucky. Yeah, they're cool. So that that was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And, and seeing the range and expectations of these fish and getting to hear a biologist talk about that, mm-hmm. really interesting. So if you have some interest in sturgeon, I, I, I encourage you to tune in. It's That's going to be a cool piece. Sturgeon are one of the newer... <clears throat> Reintroduced
2: species in the mm-hmm. state right like mm-hmm. that's been going on for 10 years or so roughly mm-hmm. and those fish are so i'm writing long-lived. a
0: story about it now rick painted one for the next cover of the magazine oh cool
2: those fish are so long lived that they aren't gonna i mean they have the potential to reach hundreds of pounds yes mm-hmm. like we're talking
0: potentially well, 300 the state fish. record you know that, was caught and released last year but you can't certify the state record because you can't take it in possession they, okay. they were saying that this um, this particular species that record's Lake- 54
1: yeah, lake sturgeon here. They they think will you know potentially maybe seventy to a hundred pounds. They don't think that this particular strength is. I I made the same comment. Hey, maybe we are talking about fish that reach hundreds or even thousands. That's, Some sturgeon reach thousands that's of pounds. White sturgeon. The white oh, sturgeon, yeah. and then there's other species up up in that's Norway. I saw a fishing show. They call a ten footer. White yeah, sturgeon. they. <laughs> I think they have been they've well, been, been caught over two and three thousand pounds yeah, if you they look for huge. the largest species not white sturgeon but a different species we don't yeah. have here in the united states <laughs> this particular species that we have in strain of sturgeon they were th- they were saying that maybe 70 to 100 pounds would probably ultimately be but that you, fish may be 100 years old the way those things fight, we won't too. see it I'm afraid.
2: Yeah, no. <laughs> the way a sturgeon fights like i've been lucky enough to catch maybe three or four and the way they fight is stuck to the bottom like they are a pull, pull you straight to the bottom and they want to stick to the bottom. So I can only imagine an 80-pound fish that wants nothing to do with coming up off the bottom how hard that thing would fight, you know.
1: The interesting thing that we talked a little bit about with biologists, and I'm not sure it'll be included in the story, but for the, for those that like to be on those river systems where we're introducing those fish, something that you may be able to witness and see 10, 15 years down the road from from now is that these fish – and they're not even exactly sure why, certain times of year, sturgeon will not only breach, they will come completely out of the water. So we're kind of thinking like something like Asian carp here, right? Yeah. But not like an Asian carp in the sense that Asian carp do it when they're scared. They're Mm -hmm. frightened by something. There's a big, loud boom. A boat comes by. These fish, they won't be jumping in your boat and injuring people like we have seen with Asian carp. They don't know if it's a method of communication a lot of people, a lot of biologists are saying that the sturgeon are jumping out of the water for some forms of communication. There's also been some talk that they may be doing it to loosen the eggs mm. for egg depo- deposits. Mm. It's been documented a few times in Kentucky already where oh. the sturgeon are coming up completely. Can you imagine sitting there and seeing a six-pound fish come up out of the water? <laughs> that would be awesome. So, or, yeah. But the thing is with the, with with this whole process is that Think about it's not happening a lot in Kentucky, and there's quite a few fish. If it is something that's due to communication for breeding or for egg production, we're not seeing it now because these fish you know, we are, released are not sexually not sexual mature, mature yet. Yeah. They're not sexually mature yet. So this, this whole process may change dramatically over the next 10 years. That'd be and funny. to me, that's really Castor cool. Cast for
0: smallmouth on complimenting 5 foot long fish breaches right
1: by <laughs> but the, 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 the thing cool. on these fish is it's much different people like oh my god they're going to they're going to eat and destroy everything no. they eat we're talking about microvertebrates, yeah. little bitty 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 fish, There's snails, and flies, and bugs, and yeah. worms, and th- they they suck this the soil in. They've got these little thing called barbels on mm-hmm. the front, and they feel little vibrations. It's like a little
0: vacuum, doesn't
1: it? Yeah, and they suck that in and spit it out the gills, much like you may have no. seen a fish in an aquarium that does mm-hmm. the same thing. Mm-hmm. The, the, these, these fish are not going to be destroying and killing all of our fish species.
2: And that's another good thing about them, too, catching them on trout lines, right? Mm-hmm. You, you worry about catching fish on trout lines, deep hooking them and things. Mm-hmm. The way the sturgeon's mouth works, it's like a little sucker that comes yep. out. and yep. you, you hook those things perfect every time. Yeah. Like they do not deep swallow a hook or anything like that. It, at 100% of the time I've ever seen it, it's been right there in that little sucker,
0: It's yep. just perfect. One of my good friends was throwing a cast net for Chad and Elle wives to go striper fishing. He down to about five in the morning, he caught one in the cast net. It was a young
1: sturgeon. Oh, okay.
0: And he held it up, and he didn't know about the scoots, and it was going to whoop, 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 and smoked his leg. Oh, really? Yeah, he had to go to the emergency room. It cut oh. the fire out of him. Little, little evolutionary thing works pretty so well. So, if, right if you happen to stumble across one, stay away from those scoots. Well, you and
1: you know, if you do catch a sturgeon, hey. If you get a chance to go try to catch one, uh, I mean, it's not really a species that we're promoting and nah. trying to go catch one. We want to get real... those numbers to a healthy level yeah. first. But if we... you do catch one, photo, take a picture, and, and release the fish. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Because these fish, when you start talking about sexual maturity of being 20 to 25 years, mm-hmm. and have got and a then, to go. Here's the next thing on a sturgeon. Mm-hmm. They only breed once every about four years. Yeah. So when you start going, okay, so they reach maturity and then and then they have a successful spawn, and then it may be four years later for they have another one. We may not start seeing any natural reproduction. We don't know if it's going to happen at all, first off. But if we may not see any natural reproduction of sturgeon for thirty years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's already been ten, so twenty more years. So if we if we harvest over harvest. Many of these fish, you know, it it, it will absolutely have a dramatic yeah. And that's why the regs are where they are, yes, which yeah.
2: is immediate release. And that's why the new state records can't be certified because, mm-hmm. you know, you don't want to. And that's one reason, honestly, we haven't really promoted going out and sturgeon fishing is because from a biological standpoint, management standpoint, you don't necessarily want everybody and their brother going
1: out there and trying to catch these fish. Right? And, yeah. and honestly, most of the fish that we caught... Um, they're not going to be that at this point in time. We we did catch a 40-something-inch fish, mm-hmm. but we caught three or four fish that were like 20 inches. So mm-hmm. as far as a fight and to go catch a fish, you'd be, I'd rather really catch a saw guy or a walleye mm-hmm. and, <laughs> and and eat it. We're talking about two or three of the fish we caught were yeah. 2.4 pounds. Yeah. And They're the, very small fish at that point in time.
0: Did you tell me a guy got flamed on Facebook for catching one below the dam there and, and uh, had it out of the water for a while and took pictures and all that. And people uh, kind of.
2: Sure, it's probably happened. Everybody I've kinda seen. Kind of ripped has been, on them. Everybody I've seen has been pretty respectful. There's, there's I think f- people are proud of the fish. and you know. Yeah, there's a few guys I know that target them, mm-hmm. and those guys really, really care about them. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how people are that target anything. Really, mm-hmm. really care about They're
0: doing them. a tagging study, too, to determine the yeah. origin of, of those in the tailwater.
1: Yeah. It's interesting because everybody cares about the fish species they care about the most, and they treat them like gold. Mm-hmm. But you know, the fact is, you need to treat all of them. If if you're gonna, and by treating them good, it might be treating them well and putting them in the live well, and and no. taking them home, and 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 having a couple of them for dinner. That's completely fine too. It's really interesting. I, I wish that anglers would treat other anglers that have other interests with the same level of respect they treat their targeted species yeah like the old musky hanging in the tree at del hollow type deal oh Mm -hmm. yeah i mean you see i mean it's it 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 is amazing how people can be fishermen can be so fragmented i'd Mm -hmm. like to tell that guy because i'm
2: talking about a guy who caught a bass angler down at del hollow who caught a musky and all these musky eat the bass and threw the musky up on the bank Oh, okay, that muskie is that muskie is not the
1: reason you didn't catch bass today. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that yeah. is your fault. Yeah. Well, it's, sometimes you mm. got to take a step back, and it's hard to do. But let me give you a perfect example. We'll go post a picture of somebody that's got a picture of a sixteen-inch bass, and it's on a stringer. Mm-hmm. And we'll congratulate them for ones that didn't get away, yeah. and then and then it'll be followed by. Thirty responses from tournament bass people, bass bass anglers, and I'm a tournament bass angler. Yeah. Uh, I, I enjoy going out and and catching release bass, but mm-hmm. they'll be so upset this guy kept this one fish. Yeah, the regs are put in place yes. for a minimal amount of harvest. It's actually good yeah. to take some yeah. of those fish. They will bash this guy like like he just like, did the worst thing he just ever. Just robbed a bank. Yeah, and that same person will put five fish in the middle of summer in his live well mm-hmm. and run them around mm-hmm. all, no all day long. Yeah, no, no ice, no ice, no oxygen. <laughs> Weigh his fish in, and then all five of them are dead. within <laughs> <putting laughs> the terminal release, but that he'll give that guy a bunch yeah. of crap for yeah. keeping yeah. one. Yeah. Hey, sometimes you got to just take a step back and go. You know what? That person enjoys some of the same outdoor recreational activities that I do. Yeah. I may not be exactly be happy that he's going to keep that one, but you know what? I'm glad he's out there doing. It. He's another sportsman that is a voice mm-hmm. to help protect the interests that I love. And is paying the freight. And it's just too easy to go online and to send a message. And sometimes you got to take a look, uh, step back, and see how you're involved in this process too.
2: I really think it's, <clears throat> excuse me, c- counterproductive to yeah. complain <clears throat> about certain things because, well, let's just take your example. Guy catches a 16-inch smallmouth, he's proud of it. he's going to take it home and have it for dinner, right? Somebody starts getting on him. Well, nobody takes that kind of feedback positively. No. So all that person's going to do next time they go is keep more fish. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, it's, just just, gonna, yeah. it's like a, an in-your-face type deal. When that's kind of, unfortunately, people's reaction. But when you get on people and you bash them and you complain about them, not, a lot of people's response is going to be, to kind of, you know, stick it to you.
0: The late Ted Kroll, who was assistant <laughs> director of fisheries, would be like, Lee, I, I support catch and release fishing, but we've kind of gone too far. It's, mm-hmm. it's not a sin to eat a fish. Yeah, uh, that's why we fish. go to all that trouble. With, I, so uh, yeah. you can take this many every day, and it will not negatively impact the resource. That's why we go fish. to all this trouble.
2: I love eating fish so much. That's actually what I was trying to get to with this conversation, was to have you guys tell some people how they could go catch something to eat. But <laughs> before we get off sturgeon, I did see something in that video. So you said that, you know, they usually catch more than you guys caught that day, right? Mm -hmm. And watching that footage, I'm pretty sure I know why. I'm pretty sure that's because the entire population of mud puppies for the southeast (laughs) found your all's trial lines, Oh, man. Those mud puppies are
1: strong and very, very, very prominent. dogs? Yeah. Not to be confused with the hellbender. Not hellbenders. Yeah, mud puppies. There there were a bunch of mud puppies down there. But I'd say the biggest reason that uh, they told us that the area that we went um didn't have as many fish as other areas that they'd sampled. So when they said that our average was down a little bit, they were saying that it was kinda normal for the area they've been. But earlier this year yeah, they, went they had eighty something in a day. That's wild. Wow. They had two trot lines with fifty hooks, mm-hmm. two trot lines, had sixteen sturgeon On a 50-hook trot line. That's pretty good. So you're looking at two trot lines. you got 32 fish. one out of three. 32 sturgeon on 100 hooks. One out of three hooks, pretty much. That's pretty good. So those were areas that had a a little um, better concentration of fish. They also move. If you can find the spot where the sturgeon just happened to be in their migration and they're moving up the waterways and you put nets there, you're going to have big numbers. So... Mm -hmm. They're trying to document all that, and they've got them more kind of targeted to know where they're at in in certain streams. But we didn't make it to that particular waterway. That happened to be on the day where we were. Yeah, we tried. Yeah, we were trying a, to go, and we didn't make unfortunate it. Unfortunate
0: incident.
2: Yeah, yeah well, it was raining hard that day, so it probably wouldn't have been the best shoot anyway. Yeah. But, um, you know, we're, we, have, we all have things we have to do today, but before we call this quits, I want you guys to give me the answer on, if you wanted to go catch sauger, where would you go? When would you go? What would you use? How would you
0: do it? Well, it, it would depend on water conditions. If I was going to the Ohio River, since I'm a bank fisherman, I would go to Meldall because I think for, for bank infrastructure, I don't think you could beat it. However, I don't like to drive. Um, but really, Kentucky River, too, I think. you know the, the, A lot of people don't. Lock and Dam, too, there at Lockport mm-hmm. has.
2: Is there a Lock and Dam on the Kentucky River or the Ohio River that you couldn't go have look at?
0: Uh, probably not
2: yeah i mean it, access might be tough like olmstead looks like it would be tough to get access to but mm-hmm. as far as a dam you can get in front of and fish the lower level of mm-hmm. so fish the downstream side of a dam if you can find one of those on the kentucky i mean brandenburg yeah not not brandenburg um <clears throat> is it brandenburg right there north of madison county am no, i love uh, you know where i'm talking about yeah By halls on the river
0: yeah that's uh no um uh, that's Boonsboro.
2: Um, Boonesboro, thank you. that's Lock and Dam Ten. Boonsboro seems like it'd be a great spot with good access.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's lock. There's a four. beach
0: there on that side.
1: Um, there's there's quite a few of them. I'll tell you what, yeah, this those, is also a pretty good Falls time of Ohio is always great. To catch to catch them, if you if you you can do it from the bank, um, on any of our our big river systems, below the Cumberland Dam. Oh yeah. Um, now these aren't so Walleye. These are walleye. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a great spot to go out there and catch the
0: them. State record sauger was caught in the Cumberland.
1: And I'll tell you what, a great lure to yeah, throw this time of year, if you can get in a place that has some walleye, or some sauger, and some moving water, is the good old faithful, tried and true, Rapala number seven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's hard to beat. You can catch you can catch walleye and sauger on those. Now, if you're on moving water and you're worried about losing um losing expensive lures then you want to go with more lead and hook t- style baits. that's kind of how i so you know,
2: like <clears throat> excuse me so fishing okay. when we went walleye fishing over the summer and uh, we were fishing river system i was liking the wow. rapalas i was mm-hmm. liking keeping it up mm-hmm. but if i was going to go to the ohio river or the kentucky river down here and mm-hmm. i was going to try to bang the bottom for sauger I'd probably be going the cheapest sled heads I could find and the cheapest Mister Twisters or Curly Tails, mm-hmm. you know, just because it's a lot nicer
1: to break off a forty-five cent bait than no, it, it is. is a forty. Yeah. Well, the thing $45 is, forty-five dollar bait. <laughs> the, the lures, if the fish are really kind of pulled into uh, in seams and you're catching them below the dams, mm-hmm. then there's an opportunity to catch fish um, with a lure that's not getting to the bottom. So you don't have to worry about losing so many of them. Mm-hmm. Sauger on the bottom. Yeah, walleye will get in the seam and feed sometimes up off the bottom a little bit if you're sauger fishing you need to be
2: on the bottom, on the bottom. that's kind of why i was thinking that sauger would be the one i'd try to promote because i feel like it's they're easier to target mm-hmm. than walleye because mm-hmm. walleye suspended like you mm-hmm. said and i think there's more sauger than walleye across the state so you know they bang good banging bottom is kind of where you want to be and i will say too chad last year you went down i think it was last year you went down and you fished uh, lock four here in frankfurt which this can be done anywhere on the Kentucky river below a Dam, and you went and fished it and you caught some fish. And then I went and tried to replicate that a few days later and I did it and I didn't have luck for a while. And then as I was fan casting, cause I like to fan cast, right? Mm-hmm. Not just straight out. I started having luck with one specific casting angle mm-hmm. and I came back and I told you, I was like, man, you know, I really wasn't having luck until I started casting di- uh, kind of diagonally mm-hmm. across and hitting this one spot. And you were like, that is exactly what worked for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had fished that exact same water with a retrieve coming a different direction. Hadn't had any luck. So something just about how my bait was dropping off a dip into a low spot or just something about how it was rolling there. So if I was going sauger fishing, I wouldn't walk down to a spot and cast for half an hour, not get a bite and say, well, they aren't here. I'm not going to have luck. It's kind of one of those things where you need to cast around
1: and explore a little bit and give them time to move in. You give it two hours, you're probably going to have luck. Well, typically in these situations, typically, um, you know the fish are going to be looking upstream mm-hmm. right and you're in a current in river yep. they're typically going to be looking upstream so if you bring the if you cast upstream and bring it downstream mm-hmm. you're going to be bringing the bait toward the fish right mm-hmm. which you might think that's the way to go about it but let me tell you what you get hung up a lot that way and yeah. it's hard to keep the lure on the bottom yeah. yeah it is so if you then fan cast behind the fish and you're bringing the lure from the tail of the fish Mm -hmm. toward the face, you got to present it slower. Because the bait is, uh, if you're moving it fast, by the time the lure gets to where the fish is looking in front of them, you're immediately moving it away, yeah. right? So there are different techniques that you can use, and there's advantages to each one. So fan casting yeah. allows you to try both until you mm-hmm. figure out which work, which way's working.
0: Sometimes the 45-degree angle isn't the best. Well,
2: that's, sometimes, sometimes.
0: Yes. Perpendicular.
2: You can best. tell me how you like to work it, too, but when I walk up to a body of water, if I'm bank fishing, mm-hmm. that's how I want to do it. I want to literally go from, like, three to nine o'clock across yeah. the top or from nine to three and I'll take a cast and I'll literally look at things on the opposite bank and say okay I'm casting straight towards that tree this time then I'll look okay four feet over okay I'm casting straight towards that mm-hmm. tree this time and then I'll move my body down the bank and so that I'm fan casting kind of with an overlap of where I've already fished but you're hitting that area with a different angle mm-hmm. And uh, and if you do that and you'll find something that's working for you then you can focus in on
1: it and if just you're- you know, if you're a stream fisherman, you used to walk it off and just cast out in the middle of the stream every single time, the exact same cast, yep. change your approach up a little bit mm-hmm. and cast right along the bank, cast upstream, if the, if the current will allow. You may have to change the weight in which you're presenting because mm-hmm. you don't want to be hung up the whole time, but you look at it, watch a trout guy, they will always cast upstream yep. every single time. It's a natural drift. Of right. the, present their lure down. That is very effective for trout. It's also very effective for a lot of the species of fish. But if you if it's a cold water fish and the fish doesn't move that, it's not moving that fast, and you want to present it slower, then you're going to cast the other way, and you're going to work it back up to move it really, 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 really slow. Mm-hmm. Try You never know what day what's going to work. Yeah. That's the beautiful thing about fishing. Yeah, there's there's kind of guidelines on, hey, this is how you usually do it sometimes you can throw all that out the window yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you just got to try you got to try new things
2: yeah and that's the thing i would say if you're going to go fishing somewhere don't don't call it quits after you know half an hour of doing the same thing just try something different keep switching it up chances are those fish are there yes. um and, it, and
0: they're going to again move in and move out you yeah.
1: know yeah so sauger's coming that up
0: happened to chad now when we were on that shoot you know we just we got on a time crunch we started catching them right when we had to leave cool. yeah. well
1: and that's the thing and, and because you've been there half hour casting and they're not feeding it doesn't mean they're not there either yeah. Yeah. those fish may be there and they're just not eating they're just not doing it yet. stick yeah. with it a little bit take your time enjoy I've enjoy the scenery seven
0: degree water they'll bite doesn't
1: oh you know? yeah oh yeah and uh, i'm sure people have caught Kentucky them River. caught them through ice and you know cold you know as cold as it can get water so yeah try so to catch them m- when it gets hard when the water gets hard, that's when it's too cold to fish. <laughs> it's, still, it's still fun. You actually,
2: that's exactly what you said on the one and only ice fishing segment we've done since you've been here. The only time we've been able to do it, you said, I've always said that w- people ask me when it's too cold to fish, and I say when the water gets hard, but I guess that's not true anymore. <laughs> we, we were catching crappie after crappie that day. Well, oh, cool. yeah. That was a lot of fun. That's something I want to go do again and so bad. That's
0: another fish, you know, Taylorsville. I've done really well on crappie in the dead of winter. Yeah. You know, you can go catch them by you those know, trees. crappie
2: are so weird because you say that. Yeah, I've done really well in crappie in the dead of winter. Everybody knows spring and fall for crappie, right? Mm-hmm. And then one of the better fishing guides that me and Chad have ever been out with was a guy who said dead, dead of summers when I mean, you got to catch yeah, oh, crappie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's like everybody has their thing for crappie. But I
0: mean, I've, I've done well in like right around Christmas time.
1: Yeah. Hey, that, that just reminds me, too. This is slightly off topic. I know we're about to wrap this up. Yeah. Slightly off topic. We were catching those crappie. Yeah. We were catching them with a guy named Dalton Smith. who was a young fella at the time. And and uh, interestingly enough, I wanted to say something about Dalton cuz Oh, you're talking about the ice fishing. Ice fishing piece. We were catching crappie you're through all. We talk about the two bass he just caught. So Dalton Smith, <laughs> um congratulations to Dalton. He uh he is the uh kayak bass fishing coach at Cumberland, or at least he Cam- has in Campbellsville. Been. Yep. In Campbellsville, yeah. And and uh, he bass fished there um for, for Campbellsville and he is an avid angler. He went to Texas yep. and fished a public body of water that yep. everybody else could fish, and actually caught two largemouth bass on the same day, over 14 pounds each. That's right. Each. Yeah. Do you see that? Well, yeah. So kudos to him because let me tell you what that uh, it, it that that takes um that takes a lot to be able to catch two fourteen pounders in one day so kudos that. kudos to dalton dalton's a great great young man great fisherman and it couldn't have happened to a better person so Thank kudos you. to dalton
0: i yeah, like
2: dalton he uh, he's actually guiding now on dale hollow too right yeah. so
1: yeah that's uh i see his step he's probably over. living in texas after that yeah. did, you,
0: did you go to dale here a while back did you fish dale
1: i have fished dale a couple times this year i have not fished as much this year as i normally fish how'd you do um we, you know it was not great but it was right when the lake was turning we were catching 10 11 12 fish a day it was right when the lake was turning and, and you know i like to fish dale hollow literally from up the wolf river mm-hmm. all the way down mitchell's mm-hmm. on further than that south and uh most of the lake was not available to good fishing water it was really it was from the wolf on into sulfur and then it turned to black water so uh, that was back in um, that it's was back in Thanksgiving time frame or a couple weeks after
2: even. I think it was. A, usually you go on that uh, thing after this. There's absolutely nothing on my screen to to look at right now. <laughs> Both of you guys leaned up here like there was something on. It was my homepage on Facebook. Gotta be fa- careful about that. Um, but yeah, that was I think the weekend after
1: Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. if I remember right, because you mm-hmm. traditionally go on a trip then, right? And we caught some. We caught some fish. We caught some fish. You know what? Chase, one of the best days I've had, and I fished Dale Hollow a lot. It's one of my favorite lakes. Uh, um, it can be feast or famine, no, like yeah, it's, nothing you've ever seen. Well, Laurel, Cumberland's kind of... L- Laurel's Manor. Laurel, Everything. Cumberland, all those crystal clear reservoirs. Uh, I don't know if it was before I was doing this job. I guess it was afterwards because you were here. You the and I... And me
2: and Brooks went down there? We
1: went down there, and, and you were talking about weather changes. Mm-hmm. In the wintertime, when it comes to fishing... I like to fish the second or third day of consistent weather. I don't care if it's consistently cold, yes, yes, consistent southwest wind, consistently 60 degrees. I don't care what it, the conditions are. I like to fish when the weather is consistent, yeah. right? That's when the fishing is normally the best. The fish mm-hmm. acclimate to whatever it is, and they're going to eat. Yeah. Yeah. One weird caveat to that was the time we were down there fishing, the weather changed and it got really, really hot, like 65 degrees after, and we're talking February, where we had yeah. been really, really, really cold. And you remember how we caught those fish? Uh, we were swim baits. We were throwing swim baits. We were fishing dark black banks, and we were fishing oh, yeah. we're boat lo- ramps. We were looking for the warm spots. We were looking for the areas where either concrete or dark Rock had come down and it it, it entered the water because yeah. it was heating up with the sun. Yeah. We actually caught three off the boat ramp before Brooks got in the boat. We had three wow. four pounders before he he uh,
0: David, Bro- L's, David L. David L. Hayes boat ramp.
2: Yep, he we, Brooks would, were, Brooks backed the truck down and put me and Chad on the water. And then he went to park the truck, and before he was able to walk down the ramp, we had three
1: four pounders. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. We yeah. had three fish over five pounds that day. And yep. I think that I mean we didn't count them, we didn't weigh every single one, but I think we had 18 fish over four pounds, somewhere in that range. Yeah. Wow.
0: Smacked and them. we're talking Ruined me.
1: We were almost yeah, caught 40 something fish that day. Yeah. So, I had to leave early. We were at 26 when I left. And we ended up with, I think, 38 fish or something yeah. like oh, that. Yeah. I mean, just smoked them. So. Oh. That, my, my, my point with all this is is yeah there are there are guidelines that tell you when the best days can be. That was one of our best days, and it wasn't like the three days before where exactly warm, nice weather. Mm-hmm. It was a major change that brought on the fish. So that's that's
2: taking advantage of a change, just like we did with coyote hunt. That's exactly that's saying right. hey the sun's out all of a sudden. These boat ramps and these warm rocks are getting warm. That's a unique thing that we can take advantage of. So it's just like we did with the coyote hunt. we were saying hey. This is a change coming off three days. You can take advantage of that change too. But I do, I would tend to agree that consistency, especially with fishing, is going to get fish congregated better, right? Because yep. they're going to be all scattered if things are changing. Yeah. But we and just happen off. to catch a good change.
0: I yeah. went with Chad one time on January the 3rd, right after the next day. was on Sunday. We started work again, it was during the break. Bluebird, high of 41. I was like, well.
2: Your spy bait day?
0: Yeah. Uh, oh. No, we did. Uh, is swim bait day. Remember? Oh, okay, and uh, you took me up Sulfur Creek. I was like, "Well, we won't catch nothing today." I, I, I was <laughs> like, Chad, "My God, we why can't we have some cloud cover?" We end up putting fish in a boat, nineteen-inch oh, yeah. smallmouth that day. That's and, when
1: you uh, built the new rod and I caught your first, that was you my had. first fish. That, yeah, I fish on
0: a rod I just built. So. Yeah, yeah. and I mean it was tough, but you
1: know, you know, we found I'll, those weeds. There's never days where no fish can be caught, and if you think there are, go watch the tournament weigh-in. There and, was one day you, you'll see some fish that. Uh, You'll see fish that somebody figured out how to catch them, but there are days that are, that are much, much easier than others. Yeah. And uh, in the wintertime is a great, great time to fish. Right now, February, right now is January, but February and March, great. probably the two best months to go out and get a big fish. I don't care if you're copper yeah. fishing. I don't care if you're walleye fishing. I don't care if you're smallmouth or largemouth bass fishing. B- big fish, the biggest fish are caught every single year. Yeah. In February, February and March. I say, yeah. April will catch some big fish too because that's still pre spawn. But February and March, slow down. This is a good time of year to catch a lot of fish and your trophy
2: fish. i 100% agree. The biggest bass I've ever caught, or like not one specific, but all of the biggest bass I've ever caught, seems like late February, early March, mm-hmm. and just slow as I can go. Yep. And, um,
0: I think February is the peak month for the float and fly. That's yeah. when it really peaks. Probably. Probably so, I do yeah. have to
2: correct you though. There was one day where a fish couldn't be caught, and that's when me and Lee tried to go white bass fishing this past year. <laughs> no, so, well
0: uh, we could see them. <laughs> we could see them. they were in there doing their thing. Yeah, you know, they were in there having their you know romantic dinner, and uh, we could see them like. In, I mean, my God, I think you bopped a couple of them in the back with the lure. Yeah, right well, I was
2: like, I was like. No, yeah, you know, we were pretty well set on these fish are not going to bite. And I was to the point where we're going to catch one.
0: Jay's caught a carp, though. Yeah, I caught a carp that
1: day. See, that, fish can be caught.
2: That was one of the <laughs> toughest days I fished. And and when it was funny because Lee and myself were going out to do a podcast. We actually scrapped it. Yeah. And we were setting it up in the parking lot. We are like, man, you couldn't ask for better, Lee. This is good. <laughs> <about laughs> see them
1: right there. We're going to crush them.
2: Yeah, we were like, this is absolutely perfect. Everything's perfect. We got down there. We couldn't buy a bike.
1: No. <laughs> Those are the most frustrating days. Yeah, but when the everything... salt's at low,
0: that's a taught me a lesson. When it's super low and gin clear, it's just not, yeah. they're not doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you guys say we call it quits? We all have things
2: that I know we need to go do today. So I uh, appreciate you coming on, Chad. Yeah, and, it's good to see you, brother. Hey,
1: thank you guys for having me. I, I enjoy getting on here and- uh you right. know, there's no format to this. We just kind of no, ramble on. Ramble. It. It's, it's a little want. bit
2: looser than what we have to do on TV. <laughs> it? Like, yeah, much more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I never, like, I always have, like, just a few notes on where I want the podcast to go. Well, but it always I... ends
0: up taking a turn, oh, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. What was your favorite shoot last year? What was your very favorite? Okay. These
1: are, I like this. Wow. Yeah. My favorite shoot last year. Um, that's tough. You know, that, that is, that's interesting. The crazy thing is for me is that I don't have a favorite activity. They like to do, yeah. People think it's fishing more. People think most. it's rabbit hunting, mm-hmm. fishing. You enjoy both those, you like archery hunting a lot. Yeah. But the crazy thing is, is, is hunting's if, always if, good. if you get on our social media, which I don't read a ton of it, but if you get on there, people will think that I, I pretty much like to fish and fish only. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I think that's because fishing is there's not a season, we're yeah. open to fish year round, so we do a mm-hmm. lot of fishing because we don't have to abide by our very specific seasons. But man, I love archery, I love rabbit hunting. I absolutely love working behind a squirrel dog. Um, we had a really interesting turkey hunt. And I'll tell you, out of all the hunting, people get wrapped up in turkey hunting. I like the turkey hunt. I don't live to turkey hunt. Mm-hmm. That um, I, I want to get out there every single year, and I'm looking forward to it. But we had a really, really interesting turkey hunt this year where we got out there, and we didn't hear anything. We didn't think it was going to happen. Opening day. We're like, what's going on? Opening day, no turkeys gobbling. There are no turkeys here. And we had a turkey just flat put on a show for us and brought him from 300 yards Mm -hmm. away. It was one of those things where the anticipation just got thicker and thicker and thicker until that bird was in our lap. That was a pretty cool. That was a fun hunt. We had some. We had some. Well, fun I love that hunt.
0: one where the big buck ran off the less dominant younger buck, and then walked over there. and yeah. That was a big one. Yeah, oh, the one we got. this first? Yeah, that that wasn't bad. I was ago. sitting
2: here looking through our through our YouTube page to see what some of the segments where we did this past year. Um, you know, just seeing if any stand out. I mean, we got the hawk hunt with Steve Stacey.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, we, had, we
2: had walleye fishing with John Bowl. That was fun. That was mm-hmm. fun. Yeah. Yeah, and, and hybrids on rough river was fun. I think hybrids on the Ohio <coughs> river was one of the more fun ones that I got to be a part
1: of. You got to go out with Leo for his first year, um, which I'm sure was good. That but, was, you know, that, well, Leo's first year because of my son kind of getting into the outdoors yeah. and, and taking that passion was super exciting for me. I'll tell you what. The hybrids out of a kayak was yeah. was an interesting, was, was a very interesting shoot to Linville. Yeah. yeah, those fish started coming up and blowing up and boiling around us in the kayak, and that was that was there's a there was a really cool experience about that too. So, you know, there that's the thing. I don't have a favorite activity. I don't have a favorite time of year. I have a favorite time of year to do certain activities. Mm-hmm. But in here in Kentucky, we man, do it. Yeah. We have. A lot of unique opportunities. Um, I know some people hate the winter and they hate the cold months, but the more time you can spend outdoors, um, better. I love winter. Uh, keep it, stay active and get outdoors and move. And I, I tell you, it's a. I'm I'm very lucky. I'm not one of those people that are real cold nature. Mm-hmm. Our camera guys can can tell you that. I I, <laughs> we get in the truck and I'm always burning hot and I'm trying to get yeah. the thing cool. And mm-hmm. I, I like the cold months. I like getting outdoors and doing some of the activities. I love the spring and fall. My least favorite time in the state of Kentucky is July and August. Yeah, I, mean, well, I, I would, could cancel uh, July and August every single year and be completely fine with that. Yeah. It's a good time to float a
0: creek though, but
2: it's a good that. time to float a creek. Yeah. Right. And halfway just you know, the fishing in creeks isn't even the best during that time of year. No. You know, it's just the most comfortable time to be out there on a kayak. Take
0: and dip your feet in the water every no, now and then just so. get out and sit do the sit and let the you creek don't flow you have over. any
1: hunting seasons in you're fishing i mean I, I like the nighttime fish i like to go out on the big reservoirs and nighttime fish but other opportunities in the daytime in july and august for me um like i said that to me that's it, to, to be an outdoors person in the state of kentucky you know i know we come out here all, all the time and we're promoting we're talking about the opportunities um july and august to me are the ones that have the least opportunities yeah i like october I like October a lot. Me too.
2: (laughs) I like October for the scenery and the conditions of of the 50-degree days are just great. You got deer coming into pre-rut, which is my favorite time to hunt them, and you still have small game opportunities for squirrel and rabbit if you want to get out and run your dog Mm -hmm. or just go walk Mm -hmm. through the woods. So I think October is probably my favorite month, but there's something also about like April, May. (laughs) A <laughs> turkey season Me because too. the mm-hmm. woods are starting to wake up. My two favorite months are May and October.
1: That oh, those would probably mm-hmm. be my favorite two months too. Mm-hmm. And then uh, well, I'll tell you what that uh, every year when we go out on a turkey hunt, if we turkey hunt opening weekend, and then we turkey hunt the last weekend and you, you come back in the office, you don't realize how the woods change. Mm-hmm. You come back in, you look at the footage from the opening day, and you look at the footage from the last day, mm-hmm. it doesn't even look like the same. Oh, way. it's yeah. completely different. It's amazing how the woods change that time of year.
2: Yeah, and it changes in a, in a good way. Yeah. Like in November, you know, you can go from a night it being nice and fall out to all of a sudden one good strong line of thunderstorms come through, and, oh, here comes four months of bleakness, you yeah. know, yeah. gray, brown, bleakness and in the and in the may it's a complete opposite change it's like dramatic yeah. and in a good way it's like things are coming alive now yeah so that i'm looking for that's the next thing i'm really looking forward to i mean i'm going to enjoy my predator hunting what through the next two months i'm going to enjoy going out and fishing for sauger and guy and way too early white bass um before they're even running because i'll just be itching to fish so bad that i'll be out there you know yeah. looking for the first one that comes mm-hmm. up the stream but um, I'm looking forward to turkey season in May, just because that's when, you know, I'm a short sleeve guy. I want to
1: be out there and be comfortable all the time. So. Hey, you got a couple of weeks left to try to get out and do some do some uh, small game hunting. We have around the opportunities we have here in the state of Kentucky. I'm planning on doing that with you this weekend, hopefully. Yep. And after that, man, if you're if you're a person in Kentucky looking for something to do, get those rod and reels out, get them relined, get mm-hmm. them cleaned up and ready to go. Because I'll tell you this, if you want to catch a big fish, go out and talk to somebody about fishing their pond pond fishing in february and march is great good as it gets mm-hmm. go go get that lined out and uh be ready because you know what you don't want to spend all of uh, a beautiful day in february or march locating your rods and reels and mm-hmm. finding out that oh this thing needs new line no, and this line's three years this, old this reel needs to be oiled and get that stuff lined up i ready did that go. last weekend you're going to get a day in february that all of a sudden you're going to say man it's 55 60 degrees we'll and stunningly its beautiful outside i wish i could go fishing Get your spots lined out, get your gear ready to go, and be ready for that first few days because, yep. hey, it's right around the corner.
2: Hey, we yep. did a good segment last year, early early fishing farm ponds, and we went out there and we caught, what, three fish over four pounds per
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, it
2: was just that, that exact technique. It was like, hey, we've had a few warm days here in a row, first mm-hmm. couple warm
1: days of the year, and we went out there and caught them. So. We were throwing a uh, a Senko with no weight on it, mm-hmm. and that fish, when it came up and hit, it blew up and sucked that bait so hard that... Uh, Chase, you were filming that. I believe it scared you a little bit. Didn't I mean, I was watching your
2: bait. I was staring at it. You know, <laughs> just kind of relaxed, looking at the sinko on top of the water. And then all of a sudden, boom. so yeah, that was. I, that, you know, I jumped worse when that fish hit. Then I do
1: handheld when you shoot a rifle two feet from. Because you know that the rifle's not yeah, ready like, to go off. Oh yeah, <laughs> like, you, you didn't know, know the big bass was going to off. You didn't know that bass, know that bass and, yeah. that three feet from the bank was going to come up and just absolutely no. suck that lure. Like I, under. I'm usually pretty proud of myself. Like uh, I think I do. <laughs> I think I do pretty
2: well as far as camera jump oh, when yeah, a gun goes great. off or something. But man, that that fish jumping! i lucky I didn't throw the camera in the water and run away. And you actually,
1: <laughs> <laughs> you, we, you know, you know, we we film. We kind of do what we're going to do. We turn that yeah. fish loose, and you and you were like, ah can't believe how i jump when that fish yeah yeah. (laughs) it was ridiculous i'm not afraid of fish just for
2: listeners uh, knowledge yeah
1: no i'm not i'm not saying that yeah
2: no so the one thing i do want to get done i just remembered this man last weekend i was like deer season's winding down i need to you know top off the freezer here so i took a deer and i was like you know that was that wasn't that hard i'm gonna get two more i'm gonna go ahead and get my bonus tags and fill those and I bought those bonus tags, and I've hunted five times since then, and I haven't had a deer in range once. Mm-hmm. So I've got three days left, or two days left. So by next Monday, if I haven't filled those two bonus tags, it's the last day of season, Martin Luther King Day. I will be sitting in a deer stand and looking for two does, just so I don't have to eat the tags. You know, waste waste fifteen bucks, although that's relatively cheap. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm gonna, I've wasted more
1: money on less before. <laughs> that that is for sure. Yeah, <laughs> but, you but, know, and, and that's the interesting thing too. People go, "Oh my gosh." Um, an aspect that people don't understand as far as wildlife management goes is the fact that we we encourage people in Zone 1 counties to keep shooting does. I... um I'm not embarrassed to say I've taken five does this year, right? And five a buck. Five does so, and a buck. So I'm trying to get where you are. I'm trying to get to five does and a buck. So five does and a buck, and people are like, oh, my God, you, you know, why do you keep shooting these deer? Well, first off, we eat them. Oh, yeah. Uh, we put them all to good use. We've showcased exactly how we do our processing in the field. Mm-hmm. We've showcased how we do our processing in the kitchen. We've showcased how we cook them. Our family, we really put it to good use. But here's mm-hmm. the thing. For wildlife management reasons, if you look at the end of the year, as a biologist, they want to see somewhere near 50-50 and 50% 50 mm-hmm. buck harvest, 50% doe harvest. Mm-hmm. You have people out there like me that will take three and four and five and people out there like you, Chase, that'll take three and four and five. Mm-hmm. The the converse to that is that you're going to have a lot of buck hunters only out there that take one and they're a buck. Yep. It takes individuals with unlimited tags taking five and six deer a year and you watch where our numbers will be this year. I be bet you fifty-seven, 43. Mm. it'll be within two or three percentage points, and it'll probably be more bucks. It'll yeah. be 57% bucks. That's what
2: last time I looked at the numbers, that's exactly what it was. 57% bucks, 43% does.
1: So you look at that, so you go, man, why are they letting us take so many deer? Well, biologically, it's really good to have a number close to 50-50, mm-hmm. and you have to have unlimited doe harvest for those that will take them and will eat them, will donate them to Hunters for the Hungry, mm-hmm. That's the reason it takes place. Yeah. So when they hear you say you want to take two more does for you know the next three days, that sounds like, oh, whoa, he's destroying the deer population. Yeah. You actually help manage oh, the deer population. Oh, trust me, you know where our, the deer
2: population is. I'm not <laughs> destroying it. And we do eat them. Last night we had we had backstrap for dinner last night, and I think we probably eat two meals a, a week that are mm-hmm. deer. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, the deer I've taken so far this year, one and a half of them probably already gone. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I'm just trying to get to a point where – I have venison in the freezer until next September rolls around. Maybe next October because I like to, <laughs> like a lot of people, I like to buck on early. Yeah, you know, when yeah. the, my first trip or two to the deer stand, I've probably got a buck on camera, and I want to focus on that. So I'm going to pass those. And that might be, the the numbers might even out because the last time I saw the numbers was after
1: the first weekend of modern
2: firearm season. It was 57-43.
1: Last year, it was literally mm-hmm. like fifty point something, forty nine point something. Wow. That's
2: what a lot of people do is they wait to take their dough until after they've got a buck. So yeah. if I was looking at the numbers early in modern firearm season, I bet you it was buck heavy. Yeah. And then I bet you a lot of those people who took a buck got back out and took a dough. Yeah. So hopefully it'll even out it'll be around
1: fifty fifty, but I'm gonna go try to do my part. So Yeah. Well I tell you what, there's nothing better uh, nothing better in, in once you understand how to do the processing part and once you know how to cook it and prepare it. When I hear people say, "Oh no, I won't eat that," it's usually a mental, psychological thing that you know, for whatever reason, they don't feel comfortable eating deer. (laughs) But thank goodness, my family doesn't have that issue. Um, We we tend to eat a lot of it. We have people over, and we, we feed it to them. We, we don't hide it from them. We let them know what it is, and they usually ask if I have extra because they want to take it home and try yeah. it again. So, yeah.
2: mm-hmm. uh, Most people, it is a mental block because if yeah. you looked at the conditions your beef comes from as far as living conditions and looked at where the venison comes from, you'd be like, well, give me the animal <laughs> that lived in the, the venison's conditions exactly. all day. So,
1: And if you're a health person and you ever you watch – one of these deer processing videos, and you look at how that fat, you cut a, you cut a steak, look at a ribeye, and hey, I got no problems with a ribeye. I oh, yeah. love a ribeye. You look how that, that meat is very marbled, mm-hmm. and that is uh, that's a really, really good ribeye, but that's a lot of fat that you're mm-hmm. ingesting when you eat yeah. that. There's hands down no comparison. You look at a venison steak, and you look at where the fat lies. It's all on the outside. It's on the top. A lot of it is cut away and removed when you do the processing. Mm-hmm. It's like everything looks like a filet there's almost no fat inside that meat. And uh, that is one of another reason that we like to eat it because it's just, uh, it's much, it's much leaner. It it, it feels more dense when you eat it, kind of like a buffalo. Mm -hmm. It feels more dense when you eat it and uh, it is very lean. So three
2: ounces of beef is uh, about 160 calories, six grams of fat, three ounces of venison, 135 calories, three grams of fat. So half the, about half the fat content. And I would like to know how they're, cutting that because honestly I think it's leaner um, yeah I think it's leaner than that too yeah. I, I think that's a, a leaning on the I don't know if they're including some of the, the like I cut the silver seam off it looks like nothing but red meat when I yeah, get down no, with there's yeah. no marbling but anyway guys let's go ahead and uh, wrap it up for the day I appreciate Ooh. you coming up. Chad you're welcome here anytime thank you hey you want to come in here and talk to me and leave? please do <laughs> yeah. like,
1: well I, I appreciate you guys I mean, it's, it, it's, it's you always fun it jump in the car and go to <laughs> 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 well,
2: there, there's a million a million things we could talk about here so anytime you want to come on we'd be happy to have you <laughs> again. Appreciate it, guys.